0: This episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off of your next order. Now, let's start the show.
1: White Sox! White Sox! Go! 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 Dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me here, Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk
2: is on Locked On Sox podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. Today, we're going to do something a little different. We were on Locked On MLB with Paul Francis Sullivan. He likes to be called Sully. He had us on as guest to talk about a variety of topics, mostly centered around our beloved pale hoes. So give this a listen as we did a crossover episode with folks over at Locked On MLB. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's
1: your team every day. This is the daily podcast we talk about all of Major League Baseball. I'm yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully on today's episode, which is being dropped on the 15th day of December 2020. We are going to be talking south side of Chicago. We are bringing in Herb Lawrence, and Chris Tannehill of Locked White Sox to talk about a fun 2020 season and what has been, uh, we'll be kind of calling it an eventful off-season. This show is available on the free and easy-to-use Himalaya podcasting app. or also available wherever you get your podcasts. And when you're staying at home during these, uh, let's call them interesting times, be sure to tell your smart device to play podcast Locked MLB or check out some of the other great shows on the Locked Podcast Network including Locked On Fantasy Baseball with Scott Cullen and I, why not check out Locked On White Sox with Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence, or maybe with Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. I'm not sure which way they bill each other. Uh, this show can be followed on Twitter at Locked On MLB Pod. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. As I hinted, we are going to be talking about – I think one of the most fun teams in baseball, at least as we were in 2020, and a team that is filled with stars, filled with intrigue, and now possibly filled with controversy, the Chicago White Sox. And Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence, or maybe Herb Lawrence, Chris Tannehill, whichever way they do it, they host the terrific Locked On White Sox podcast. They want to talk White Sox baseball. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing, doing good, great, somebody. Sully. How
1: are you doing, brother? I'm talking baseball in December. This is what I'm going to be doing. This is what I love doing here. Let's get talking right on about 2020 um, because the season in 2020, I thought the White Sox were going to be better going into 2020. And they really, you know, from, from an outsider's point of view, I mean, I like the White Sox, but I can't call myself a White Sox fan, but obviously you have, an MVP performance by Abreu. You have Tim Anderson still evolving into one of my favorite players in baseball. Um, Jimenez is you know, making Cub fans grind their teeth. And, you know, Giolito and Keichel turn out, to I think, to be the best off-season acquisition made, period, end of sentence, going into last year. And, of course, they lost the heartbreaking series to Oakland. But talk to me a little bit about your feelings about – the groundwork that was laid down in what was in the truncated
2: season, extremely uh, positive year for White Sox. Um, Yeah, I'll start because I believe when I thought about this season, 60 games before it started, I was like, okay, this team ready to compete, but also not ready for prime time. I'm going to pick them for under 500. And I did, I think I picked them for 28 loss or 28 wins this year, 32 losses and anything over that i was going to be overjoyed and so the 35 and 25 white Sox of 2020 exceeded my expectations players played at or above their uh projections the whole year and yeah the tough loss is bad but i think the experience the three games that you got right there facing a tough oakland team will Mm -hmm. serve this team well going forward Now, notwithstanding on the moves in the offseason, the 2020 season for me and I think most White Sox fans was a I think was a year before they thought would really take off. And the White Sox show they can compete, not only compete in the AL Central, but win that division going forward.
0: Yeah. And 2020 was a year. You know, I I think there are they really ascended because of the acquisition of Dallas Keuchel a, a year ago, uh, almost to the date here. And look at their record before Dallas Keuchel sort of had the, the team meeting in Detroit and look at the record mm-hmm. after. And, you know, he, he was a guy that, that was brought in for leadership, but I don't think he knew he was being brought in to, to lead an entire team because typically pitchers don't do that as guys who only play every five days. But the acquisition of Dallas Keuchel was really the thing that that solidified this team and, and, and turned them into – uh, a, a competitive team. I, you know, the 60 game season was really a blessing for the White Sox because I don't know if that team that they rolled out there, how well they would have fared in 162. I think a short spurt was perfect. You know, certainly they had Michael Kopek opt out. Uh, Because of the short season, you know, he cited, you know, the ramp up of spring training and then ramping down then ramping back up again as one of the reasons why he opted out. But, you know, COVID also a part of that, too, possibly. But I think if they would have played 162, who knows how this team would have evolved or maybe even devolved. You know, whenever you have young teams with expectations, you always have to be weary of that going in. But I think it was the perfect setting for the White Sox to take the next step. Uh, In looking at 2021 is now they're a team that could seriously contend for an American League pennant. But like that 2020 season was just the the recipe that that, that's just just what they needed. You had Luis Robert coming up and just you got you got to see enough of everyone to know what they're going to give you. There was no major injuries for for anyone that, that season in 2020 that would that would derail their season in 2021. So it was just the perfect setting for them to see what they have going forward for 2021.
1: Yeah, and it's you brought up Keiko that I really think that that acquisition on so many levels was a positive one because their 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 rotation was so young, and you know even players like Cease and Giolito who are this is not their rookie years they're still young pitchers, and to be able to to insert a guy who has been there who has done that who has won on the big stage who who can sort of take some pressure off of them. And yeah, he did the leadership. He also was really good. I mean, he had a really good yeah. season and, you know, I mean, he kept his ERA under two. Uh, he, you know, he pitched deep into the games and he did his job. And so, you know, it's one thing to bring in a rah-rah veteran saying, Hey guys, I've been there. I've done that. It's another one to, to lead by example. I've used this example ad nauseum about this sort of role, but it's the role that Charlie Leibrandt played when the Braves acquired him in the beginning of the 1990s, where they had a ton of young pitchers on that team. And Leibrandt had been part of the uh, some successful Reds teams and and the Kansas City Royals who won the World Series. He was a big part of that team. So having that stable veteran, I think, helped Smoltz, helped Glavitt, helped Avery, help those other pitchers that were on there because they knew that, you know, that when his turn came around that, you know, there wasn't going to be a pressure on the team. I think that Keuchel fed it, that, that Giolito and the bullpen fed off of Keuchel knowing that, okay, we've, uh, you know we're in good shape when we know he pitches and and that's got to help the, that's got to compound the entire team as well
0: quick charlie liebrand aside you know he played in the uh, the catholic league around the same time that my dad played high school baseball and the the, the stories of my dad talking about facing charlie Lebrand in a high school setting like you can imagine <laughs> how a guy like that would have given some guys fits you know guys that were just playing you know for fun you know not you know looking to take the next step and play the next level but uh it was funny where we my dad was talking to darren jackson i brought him up to the the radio booth one time, former White Sox outfielder, mm-hmm. and they were sharing their stories about facing Charlie Liebrandt. And uh, my dad's like, oh, I always had trouble, trouble with Charlie Liebrandt in high school. And Darren's like, oh, I never had any trouble with him. Um, but <laughs> Charlie <laughs> Liebrandt, you know, people in Chicago should know him. I remember his his parents owned a restaurant here in Skokie, Illinois, called uh, The Studio, which I went to a lot a, as a kid. So, you know, just it's very, very off off, off the cuff here and very random Charlie Liebrandt anecdotes. But how often is Charlie Liebrandt going to come up uh, in a podcast? Setting, so I had to take it there. So, my apologies.
1: No, no, apologies. I love that you have like a little Rolodex of how many 90s players do you have an anecdote about? Is it ready to go through here? Okay, do I have one for Lee Guterman? No, no, do I have one for uh, Floyd Bannister? I don't know. Um, But the uh, Abreu, let's talk about people who had great. I mean, if if Keichel and Giolito led the pitching staff, uh, then Abreu's MVP season, I mean, this is what everyone has been waiting for for all these years. I mean, he's been very good, obviously, but this year was the year that he just, everything fell into place with him.
2: Yeah. He's always been a guy who, uh, whatever you believe in clutch or not has been clutch and I put those in, uh, parentheses. He is a guy that is, um, you know, when it's two strikes, he takes a approach that I still got to be an RBI driver in and I got to hit the ball where I need to, to get the guy in. And this year, I doubted that he was that guy anymore. You know, his rookie year was an awesome year. And then ever since, he's kind of went down, you know, stayed above league level of being a great slugger, but not like the great rookie year he had. And I was like, ah, I don't maybe want him back on the White Sox. But this year, he proved me wrong. He -hmm. got his body in shape. He was a terrible defensive first baseman years prior. He worked on his defense. He looked like he was more flexible and he went from, I think, a negative defensive run saved guy to a positive guy in the 60 game season, almost won a gold glove, should have been nominated as the finalist, but he had a great year all around. And I am looking forward to that dedication. He's like you said, the leader of that clubhouse. I think, you know, um, Tim Anderson is the guy who stirs the drink and gets the offense going. But mm-hmm. everybody looks up to Pito, and now with the MVP award, MVP, MVP Pito is the guy that they'll be looking forward to leading this White Sox team into the next phase of uh, championship contention. And Eloy Jimenez
1: and Luis – it's Robert, right? Luis Robert. Yeah. Okay, I keep I keep wanting to say Robert, but you know, Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, I mean, those are two super young guys. Uh, obviously Iman has had a better year than Robert, but Robert is you know, green. He probably would have, you know, he probably would have been a quadruple A year for him. And um, I mean, you're looking at this guy, especially if Moncada can bounce back, because he obviously did not have a very good year this year, but again, it was 52 games. I mean, if I mean, he, he played in 52 games, you got to think that if he had had, you know, what, four more months to write the ship or however long they didn't have, you know, or three more months, it would have been like, yeah, he probably could have turned his season around or at least, and, you know, had room to improve. So, I, uh, you know, lineup-wise, staff-wise, uh, this going, you know, moving forward, this has got to be just, you guys got to be over the moon, at least the shape this team is in, you know, heading forward.
0: Yeah. The, the acquisition of Lance Lynn here just a week ago was such a big move for them because you saw what happened to the white Sox in a short series at the end of 2020, you know, not many guys you could depend on in that bullpen. They had Dane Dunning who they gave up in the Lance Lynn trade, just coming off a of Tommy John surgery the year before. So still wasn't quite, what he needed to be for someone to start a playoff game for you now there was apparently there was a deal for lance lynn on the table at the deadline of 2020 for whatever reason Sox didn't make that deal who knows what the regime changed there in texas what the deal was but lance lynn solidifying the rotation as a guy who could pitch in a second or third game of a playoff series all of a sudden you have giolito and keichel and lance lynn that's a pretty formidable one two three uh, rotation in a short series to, to against any team in the american league so i think the story of the 2021 Sox is going to be told by how well does Lance Lynn do? Does, does he maintain that rock-solid track record that he has? Or does he maybe regress uh, or maybe even exceeds those expectations in a contract year? He's on a one-year deal for the Sox, so the Sox should do everything they can to supplement the roster around Lance Lynn being there. But I think if, if they're going to go deep in the postseason, they now finally they have the rotation to do so. And you saw what happened in Oakland. They, they just didn't have a, a, enough bodies on hand there to uh, get to that next tier of the postseason.
1: And I got to say one thing that if Lance Lynn does pitch well for the White Sox and does help turn, turn things around there. One thing that I would give him, if I were the management of the White Sox, I'm not one to tell them how to run their business, but if I were the management of the White Sox, what I would give them is a built bar because built bars are the most delicious Protein bars out there. You
0: guys familiar with Built Bar? You must be. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm waiting for that. The new—they're supposed to give us the new—the uh, new drop, the new Built Bar drop with I think maybe some of those holiday flavors in there. Haven't oh, got. In. I'm, I'm, in. Just, I'm waiting. I, I just like I'm, I'm waiting outside. You know, the, looking out the window every day for for the uh, <laughs> the post office for the new Built Bar because some of these new holiday flavors sound delicious. But I talk to Herb all the time. I keep them in my desk drawer at work. Herb sees me around three o'clock. I go after you know the uh, the German chocolate, one of my favorite. Phil- <laughs> Oh, yeah. But yeah, I try to you know stay away from from the sweets and be good. But built bars are a perfect opportunity for someone trying to stay health conscious while still indulging in those snacks that we love so much.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, what, my my personal favorite is the raspberry covered in chocolate. I love that. I love chocolate raspberry. But you're right, German chocolate's great. Mint brownie's great. But you make a great point. These are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. You in the keto diet? Forget it. It's great. Let's take one of these new flavors. I happen to love coconut almond because I love chocolate. I love coconut. I love almond. Boom. It's got 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, five grams of sugar, five grams of net carbs. You burn that off doing a podcast. So let me just tell you something. You can get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last and I'm going to make this deal for everyone at Locked on MLB and for everyone at Locked on White Sox. I know a guy at Built Bar. I can pull some strings. (laughs) Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. What's that website again? BuiltBar.com. BuiltBar.com. I gotta register
0: that at ASCAP. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget BMI too. All right, cool. So let's let's.
1: All right, uh, well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. And by the elephant, I don't mean Stomper, the mascot of the A's, but this guy was an A's manager. And uh, the look at, I've actually been really, really eager to talk to you guys about this because, uh, you know, when you're on the outside looking in you see a managerial change. Sometimes you think, what were they thinking? And then as someone who grew up a native New Englander, when the Red Sox were, what, five outs away from the 2003 World Series and they fired Grady Little, and some people say, what were they doing firing him? Every Red Sox fan said, like, oh, that that should have happened in April. That should have there, No one cried. And I noticed that when Rick Renteria, who, you know, uh, manager both for the Cubs and the White Sox, got the White Sox into the postseason for the first time since George W. Bush was president and he was let go. My first reaction was, what are they doing? And then I saw almost unanimously from White Sox fans, yeah, yeah, makes sense. So before we get to uh, the fact that they hired the late Tony La Russa <laughs> to be the manager of the team, <laughs> Let's just give our final farewell to Rick Renteria and maybe explain to me why this was so
2: necessary. Rick Renteria's in game uh, managing was always suspect. Uh, The handling of pitchers, how long, how, you know, using guys that shouldn't be pitching in situations. So his uh, in game managerial style was not a fan of any White Sox fan. I'm a guy who believes that managers don't matter that much in wins and losses. So I was neither Rick Renteria fan or fire Rick Renteria. So when that happened, I was like, okay, fine, cool. If they really want to go in the A.J. Henshaw uh, way, um, I, I guess I'm cool. because a guy who says managers don't matter. I don't care if he gets fired or he stays hired. Um, so I had that, of, that feeling about Rick Renteria when he got fired I know Tanny had a kind of a slightly different uh take than I do because I you know I think White Sox fans wanted Rick Renteria fired after that postseason performance so I was like it doesn't matter
0: Mm -hmm. yeah with the whole Rick Renteria thing you know I I, when when we ended the season the you know when the Sox lost in Oakland there and uh, were limited from postseason contention you know I didn't have I didn't assign too much blame to Rick Renteria for how he managed that game it was a little weird um, and a little panicky uh, but again you had Dane Dunning start that game who you saw leading up to that game didn't really he wasn't his top physical self and granted we never saw him in a full season but you knew he was hitting the the wall coming he was a a rookie for one and two coming off Tommy John surgery so he gives him the the hook after two-thirds of an inning and then it's just a total free-for-all in that game (laughs) and you know sometimes you know elimination games are like that, but he didn't really have a lot of healthy guys and, and a lot of dependable guys to go to, at least in that game itself. Now there were certain crutches that he that he u- like to use, like pitching Jimmy Cordero basically every day. Like Jose Abreu wanted to play in all sixty games. I think Rick Renteria wanted Jimmy Cordero to pitch in all sixty games if it was up to him. Um, but I, you know, I think Rick Renteria is a great culture builder. You know, you saw him with the Cubs before Joe Madden get there. I think that's unfortunately his lot in life. Is he's a guy that can set you up and get you ready for the big dance, but ultimately, like, you know, it's uh, it's someone else that's going to take you to the dance. And I think everyone knew that from the very beginning. You know, I, I think if the White Sox wanted to go deep into postseason, they would have to have someone with tons of postseason experience, which is why I thought maybe A.J. Hinch would be the guy they'd go after. They ended up, you know, shocking the baseball world and going with Tony La Russa. But I think everyone knew how this was going to end for Rick Renteria. And it, it was great to see him lead his team to the postseason in 2020. But ultimately, every Sox fan knew in their heart of hearts that it, That's where his story Was going to end in 2020
1: When he was let go I knew there was a lot of Hinch rumors going around What I thought was going to happen Is because th- There were so many lieutenants Of Bruce Bochy That seemed to be Great potential managers I mean Hensley Bam Bam Yulins, Who was a manager In the World Baseball Classic As well and, you know, for I think it was for Holland Because he's from Curacao But um, has been touted As being a great you know, you know these guys who have been alongside the most successful manager of the last decade—Roberto Kelly, uh, Ron Wotis, uh Hensley, Bam Bam, Mullins—all these guys who are, you know, there by his side. I know Tim Flannery is basically retired, so he's not really an option. But I always thought, like, yeah, if why wouldn't you want to pick? Th- That carcass, the way that, you know, Jim Leland was a Tony La Russa man, the way that Mike Socio was a Tommy Lasorda guy, you would think that you would want to get someone sort of get that person and and give them their chance. And when they went with La Russa, I really thought I was reading the onion for a minute. Um, I'm always baffled by the fact that La Russa had the greatest way to walk away from baseball as a manager, winning game seven of one of the most thrilling world series we've had of the last decade and, you know, and already in the hall of fame and, you know, all, you know, and he just says, we'll go from team to team as the sort of the executive vice president of Franks and beans and beans and Franks and show up (laughs) and show up at spring training, shake a few hands and, and, and call it a day. The idea that they would take this as we established in the first half of the show, very, very young, very, very, you know, talented young team and give it to the car keys to a guy who at one point was one of the most innovative managers. And I'm not taking away his great career, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Hitchcock was making films when he was well past his prime and they just, oh yeah, it's still enough for, you know, this strikes me as Scorsese's the Irishman right now, like going, all right, everyone's, everyone's old and yeah it kind of feels the same but it's not quite as fresh as it used to be and I, I said on my podcast if you did a venn diagram of the qualities of a manager that i would not want on this white Sox team the center circle would have been tony la Russa. so
2: um to quote voltaire what the hell is going on here <laughs> you said it i mean he had a storybook ending as a manager walking off the field as the world champion. And he, where we were at the Hall of Fame for Frank Thomas that day, we saw Tony DeRosa Russa get inducted to the Hall of Fame that day too. So I'm asking myself, besides all the all the stuff that's off the field and the stuff I don't like about him, why would a guy who's got everything he's got in this game sewn up? What's the motivation for this guy? to come back to this team and why would he want to do that? Like there's no motivation for him to do this. Like there's no, like AJ Hinch, while I wouldn't have liked the hire because of the cheating, mm-hmm. I know the guy wants some redemption to clear his name, to say, Hey, yeah, I did cheat, but I've moved forward and I'm an actual good manager. You could see I've turned this team from a team that went to A to B to a team that went to B to C type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I would, have, I would have understood that with the White Sox. I would have been mad, but I was like, I get it. But Tony La Russa has no motivation to come back and make the White Sox good. This seems like more of a Jerry Reinsdorf wants to right a wrong that he allowed happen more than 30 years ago. So this is, this is a panned worldwide, especially with White Sox move that the White Sox have made. I don't get it.
0: Yeah, for those listeners who may not be that familiar with the inner goings of of the White Sox culture, so Hawk Harrelson, the the Ford C. Frick Award winner who will be inducted uh, in (laughs) 2021, he was at one time in the 80s the White Sox general manager, and he fired Tony La and then of course Tony La goes on to Oakland and establishes his Hall of Fame career, so the, the, the wrong that Herb mentioned that Jerry Reinsdorf wants to write is bringing Tony La Russa back, you know, La Russa and Reinsdorf have remained great friends over the years. In fact, I had heard that Jerry Reinsdorf was in Tony La Russa's office the night that they won that World Series in 2011. Like, so they, they've been close friends ever since. And we always say on our podcast on Locked on White Sox, the managers don't matter that much. And I said about the Tony La Russa hiring, if you give him... All the horses that he needs. If you solidify the roster, if you plug in, uh, you know uh, something good at right fields, and you don't have a black hole out there, and you and you solidify the pitching staff, it's not going to matter who's managing the White Sox. And, I, and I, I'm still I'm still holding strong to that that it doesn't matter that much. But you know, from what I've heard about guys from guys who have played the game, guys who've been around the game, you know, guys who have had interactions with Tony La Russa, played on his teams. There's not many guys that have negative things to say about him. So while, while it is a head-scratching move in terms of, of culture, I think maybe you know this is a situation where maybe some guys on the White Sox could benefit from having uh, that type of figure in the clubhouse. I mean, some accountability may be brought to the team. A guy who's been there, done that, and the expectations are there from day one. Okay, this guy's won multiple World Series in the Hall of Fame. Everyone approached this season – in a professional manner, come ready to go every day. And hopefully it'll be a team that goes deep in the postseason, wins a world series. And then Tony bows out gracefully again. And the Sox can continue on whatever path they're going to go on after that. I thought it should have been Sandy Alomar, a guy who's had history with the white Sox and been great on Terry Francona's bench. That's kind of the guy that I wanted, but I
1: think, I think the Indians are, I think Francona is going to step down for health reasons and head off to the hall of fame himself. And I think that, you know, Alomar, Stepped in a bunch of times. Anyway, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to be the Cleveland manager for the next ten years, probably. Uh, Essentially, what you're describing is uh, Grandpa's coming. Wear your Sunday best. Be on your best behavior. You know, Grandpa doesn't turn down the music. You know, Grandpa doesn't like that.
0: Um, I hope that's not I it I hope they don't turn down the music I hope they don't change the way they are uh, on the, yeah. you know, like that's the one thing that we're all worried about is you're not going to see the bat flips and the guy who makes this whole White Sox thing go is Tim Anderson at the top of the lineup and if there's a rift there and you're already mm-hmm. starting to see some some seedlings there maybe and again this could all be squashed once everyone meets in spring training and once they start playing games it could be a nothing but there's already like this this rift that the narrative that Sox fans and media sort of push it pushing is the tone Tony La Russa versus Tim Anderson thing. And, you know, Tony's kind of made comments like, oh, I'm not going to interfere with guys being who they are. So I hope he he holds to that. And I hope people don't feel like they can't be themselves around Tony La because that would be the kiss of death I mean, for the, for this team with great personalities.
1: Well, I, I did talk a little bit about La Russa. Uh, we'll wrap up on this here. Right? I did talk a little bit about uh, La Russa on a recent episode of Locked on MLB. And I said that, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, If the best case, let's say best case thing happens, that he wins a World Series as a manager of the White Sox, he would be the first manager to manage a team to the World Series in five straight decades, the A's in the late 80s and in the early 90s, and the Cardinals in the 2000s and the 2010s and the White Sox in the 2020s, he would be the first manager ever to win the world series with three different franchises. You've had a couple of people have managed three different teams, including Dick Williams, including Bill McKechnie, who managed three different teams to the world series, but no one has ever won with three different teams. So, you know, at that point, you start putting them into the conversation of all time greatest managers. I still think the greatest manager of all time was Earl Weaver who was doing uh sabermetric stuff in the seventies before anyone knew what they were, he was already doing it. Um, and, uh, but he, but I'm, look at, I'm trying to see the glasses half full. I'm trying to see the glass yeah. is half full. And uh, we know whatever is in that glass, Larus is going to drink it and then get in his car. Well, I was going to say, I hope he's <laughs> I hope he's the first
0: manager. I hope he's the first manager to have two dash cam videos because we're waiting for the audio of I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. Like, that's what we're waiting for. I hope he's the guy to do everything yeah. you just said, but also have two dash cam videos where he's intoxicated on camera and I have the audio accompaniment. That's what we want more than anything.
1: And the only reason that would be the case is that uh, there were no dash cam videos when <laughs> Billy Martin was managing, <laughs> because Lord knows hmm. the YouTube channels you could fill if Billy Martin were alive in the age of uh, social media. What a nightmare that would have
2: been. Well, yeah. ultimately, I think that Tony Russo will be fine. And we're, you know, blowing this out of proportion a bit, but also rightly justified in our anger that the White Sox did hire a guy that's, you know, not interested in managing necessarily me. But that's what I think, at least. I, I still thought, you
1: know, one of the th- one of the three-headed monsters from San Francisco, uh, Hensley Mullins, Roberto Kelly, Ron Wotus, one of those three. I just think that they're they're all... Hensley Mullins is the main one. He's in the Mets organization now. And I think the Mets should have made him the manager. But either way, it's like those three guys are going to, they all deserve a shot. Let me put it that way. They deserve a shot to be a manager. And so um, I just thought that was what a chance to put one of them on a team that's already not in rebuilding mode, but ready to, you know, boost it up to the next level. And, um, but you know what? You're saddled with a hall of famer. So maybe that's one way to look at, Hey, uh,
2: Chris Tannehill, Herb Lawrence, where can people listen to your terrific podcast? They can check us out at Locked On Socks for Twitter and Instagram. We're Locked On Locked On White Sox is the uh, podcast name, but on Twitter, Locked On Socks. Because in Chicago, these are the only socks that we know. We don't recognize the Boston Red Sox <laughs> as the socks.
1: Okay, well, the, the, you didn't Sorry, have to. You didn't <laughs> Sorry, Sully. Sorry, Sully. Well, hey, I've, I'm distancing myself from the the Red Sox anyway, so I'm now just I'm more of a baseball fan right now. But <laughs> as for everyone else, you can, uh, uh, and, and I'm fine with the uh, uh, the White Sox sweeping the Red Sox in 2005. That was. Uh, <laughs> Um, my, my dreams of a re- repeat ended really quickly. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this to you guys because uh, I, I, I mentioned this when Stacey Gatsoulias of Lockdown Yankees was on, but uh, I figured I'd bring you guys on because let's talk about a White Sox series. Uh, one of the pitchers that the Yankees had for years and years and years and years who used to murder the Boston Red Sox uh, was uh, El Duque Hernandez. And in that great series, in that sweep between the, the Sox and the Sox, And the Red Sox were rallying in that game three. And I was like, if the Red Sox win this, they get shilling game four and they can, you know, they can come back and everything like that. And I forgot El Duque was on the White Sox. I may have known that, but intellectually, but at that moment, that piece of information was not front in my Rolodex. And the Red Sox are in trouble. And Guillen calls in El Duque. And I remember thinking, that's not fair. They're not allowed to do that. They can't bring in a Yankee now. That's, they can't bring in El Duque now. You're not allowed to do that. And uh, and of course, he's in the pincer. So he kind of looks like he's still a Yankee at that point. And of course, El Duque gets out of the jam.
0: The irony is you know, we had Joe Colley, who covered the White Sox for many years for the Sun-Times and the Daily Southtown here in Chicago. And he told the story about how it was Ozzie Guillen himself as the one who stumped for... El Duque to be on the postseason roster. Uh, supposedly, the the Kenny Williams didn't want to have El Duque on on the roster, but there you see it right there. And you know, as a White Sox fan, you can't imagine. Uh, many postseason moments because we certainly don't have many, but some, not, certainly few greater than than El Duque escaping that that bases loaded jam there in Fenway. You know, sometimes you got to be on the receiving end of some history too, there Red Sox fans. So no, just be, no, be no, happy, no, be happy for oh, us. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah.
1: Because before 04, the Red Sox were never, ever, ever on the receiving end of it. No, no, no.
0: no.
1: Uh, bucky fucking Dent, right? Hey, if we gotta bleep something out there. But uh, if we're trying to sell some built bars. I'm not sure that they would uh, approve of that. But hey, sorry, Boston. <laughs> but hey, Chris Danahill, Herb Lawrence, this has been a lot of fun having you on. So that was really great. Uh, for everyone else, uh, be sure to check us out on the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app. And follow us on Twitter at LockdownMLB Pod. If you want me to do any topic at your choice, uh, send it to me via Twitter at Sully Baseball, and we'll do it on the Sunday request. Talking socks, and according to them, the only socks worth talking about. With Herb Lawrence, Chris Tannehill, this has been Locked On MLB. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.
0: That is our conversation with our guy Sully from Locked On MLB. Check him out. Does a fine job for the Locked On Podcast Network covering baseball every day? We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode of Locked On White Socks, where we will talk to our guest. You know him from Complex, you know him from First We Feast. And from the incredibly popular web series Hot Ones, Sean Evans will join the show with us tomorrow and Friday for a two-part interview. He's a big-time White Sox fan, and we'll talk to him about being at the epicenter of one of the most popular web series of all time rubbing elbows with celebrities like Scarlett Johansson and Matthew McConaughey and what it was like when he revealed his Sox jersey to Anthony Rizzo back in season one. That's tomorrow on Locked on White Sox. So for my partner Herb Lawrence, I'm Chris Tannehill. Thank you for listening to Locked on Sox.